Hello, I'm Jim White and welcome to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to this weekend. Coming up, we'll be chatting about this. I am afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the end. And talking to him. Can you remember the first time when it kind of came out? I do. So um, I, was, I was doing a four steps extraction, so sort of salad tongs, pulling the baby out. And I was being guided, guided through by my boss. Yeah. And uh, wow. she was talking me through it. And I just delivered the baby. Yeah. And then uh, she said, Well done, you've done amazingly well. And I said, Thank you so much. And I realised she was talking to me. <laughs> and enjoying an unexpected new album from this venerable British band. Joining me to pick through the week is the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner, music critic Adrian Thrills, TV critic Claudia Connell, and our entertainment columnist, Baz Bamigboy. But first, on Tuesday nights on BBC One, there's a new series called Gold Digger, a six-part drama starring Julia Ormond and Ben Barnes. The divorce has finally come through, and I've met someone. This is Benjamin. What's he after? Gold Digger. Marriage is forever. It's being able to say what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. The show follows a 60-year-old woman who becomes involved with a man nearly 30 years her junior, which poses a question. Are women over 40 fairly represented on our screens? According to the pressure group Women in Hollywood, in 2018, only 33% of all speaking or named roles in films were girls or women. 11 movies alone featured a leading woman of 45 years or older at the time of release, and only four featured a leading woman of colour who was 45 years or older. But with Linda Hamilton reprising her role on Terminator and Gold Digger filling our TV screens, are things changing for older women in film and TV? With me are Claudia and Baz. Uh, Claudia, are we... Are we pleased to see an older woman getting passionate on our screens? Well, I am, yes. I think um, Jane Fonda, who's in her 80s, um, she pointed out a couple of years ago that older women are the fastest growing demographic in the world so we better start catering for them so yeah i think i think it's it's happening slowly but it's starting to trickle down into film and tv roles for older women and uh, exciting roles not old lady in a corner in a cardigan well that's the point isn't yeah. it i mean in the past baz i mean uh, older women were basically victoria woods dinner ladies in um in gold digger we're seeing a woman enthralled to her passion rather than her bunions that's that's nice isn't it <laughs> It's, it's nice to see, I think. No, I mean, look, Claudia's right. You, you, you sort of once upon a time, if you were, I think back in the day, if you were 40, 41, your career was over. But now, if you're 61 or 71, your career's booming. Mel Streep, nearly 70. She gets so much work, she doesn't know what to do. Helen Mirren as well. Helen is another Mirren. One. I was talking to dear old Helen just yesterday, in point of fact. I mean, she's got so much work going on. I mean, she did Catherine the Great, where she was sexy and vital and exciting. I mean, she is, if you want a vivacious, quote unquote, older lady, she's the one to go to. And actually, um, Jamie Lee Curtis was, uh, was in the, the recent reboot of um, Halloween, wasn't she? Uh, but going back to what you were saying, uh, Claudia, there's a tension, isn't there? We've got two markets that TV and uh, cinema has got to go for. We're told that the BBC isn't attracting the younger person. 
No younger person's going to watch a 60-year-old romping. I mean, they don't want to watch their... The idea of their mum snogging someone is not what they want to watch on their TV screens, is it? But I... Has that ever changed? I mean, I think we all remember watching TV with our parents and seeing an older couple snogging and just hiding behind a cushion. So I, I don't think that situation has ever changed. But if, if younger people aren't going to the BBC, then they've got to cater for the older people who are watching it. And that means casting older people in leading roles, especially women. I mean, one of the things uh, uh, about uh, Gold Digger is that there is this kind of disparity of age. Now, that is a very unusual thing, uh, isn't it, Baz, that you've got a much younger man with a woman. I mean, uh, television, as long ago as the 80s, had made to December about a man who was with a younger woman and nobody turns a hair when it's in, in Hollywood. It's the norm. Why are we so sort of find that such a sense of drama? It's always, it's always, I've always found that really strange. I can remember when Anne Reed did this film with Daniel Craig called The Mother and uh, she sort of gets her kid off. It was quite sort of out there. And uh, I can remember being in Cannes and these kind of French journalists were saying, ooh, do we want to see uh, this woman uh, with uh, naked? She's, she's, she's 60. And <laughs> well, I said, do we want to see? Come on, let's be honest. Baz, do we want to see naked 60-year-old people on our screens? Well, I'm blushing as I say this, but I mean, it did make me feel... You're a young man yourself, so... I was, I was younger then, and it did make me feel a little uncomfortable until I interviewed Anne Reid, and she's so funky and cool that actually we're sort of pretty cool friends. We have lunch every so often, in point of fact. She's great fun, and she had a good time. It revitalised her career. Yes, that's a that, that's a, a a really interesting point, isn't it? That these parts can actually change our perceptions of an actress mm. as well as of of women in the roles. I mean, she used to be a she used to be. I think she was a dinner lady or or something back in the day on Coronation Street when I was a kid. So. I said to her, Anne, you know, I remember you serving dinners and whatever in Coronation Street when I was a kid growing up, and now you're getting your kid off with Daniel Craig. <laughs> What's going on here? What were you serving? This is, um, Gold Digger is a series about passion, yeah. uh, Claudia. One of the things I thought about watching it is when they first get together, surely there's a bit more drama that could be had from a 60-year-old woman getting together with a 35-year-old man. I mean, I don't want to go into the, uh, the, the, the mechanics details, but it, they seem to pass over that rather easily. I thought there was much more sense that they could have got of the discrepancy there. I I disagree. I think they handled it quite well. They had when they had their first night together in the hotel, she made a point of wanting to turn the lights off because she was embarrassed about her body. And then and then you see her sort of her confidence grow. I mean as the I've actually I've watched ahead, so I've 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 seen what happens in the coming weeks. And and that is a drip 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 effect. You do see her sort of becoming more confident and embracing her sexuality as she gets deeper into her relationship with her toy boy. You've watched it. Yeah. Uh, you've watched all six yes. episodes, have you, on yes. iPlayer? Yes, on Is it iPlayer. worth sticking with it? Because I'm not that convinced that I want to learn about a 60-year-old woman with a 35-year-old toy boy. I, I'm i glad that I, I stuck with it. It's not... It's not the best thing that I've ever seen, but I think if you if you what are we up to? I think if you're watching it in real time, you're up to about episode two, aren't you? So yeah, I would say stick with it. But as you're an enthusiast for these uh, older women showing their stuff on screen, do you think we're going to see more of it now? Well, just just so you know, I sort of uh, I'm I I'm sort of a bit of a toy boy myself, if I may say so. <laughs> my my wife happens to be older than me uh, by about five years, actually. So uh, and uh, I think she has a good time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's by the by. But listen, get used to it. 
there's going to be a lot of actresses of a certain age, sort of, you know, front and centre on our screens, big and small. You know, Leslie Manforce giving one of the best performances of the year as a woman suffering from cancer. She's married to Liam Neeson. They're a hot couple. They're the same age, by the way. And uh, uh, Mel Streep's uh, in Little Women, Laura Dern's in Little Women. Women are taking over the screens. They're come. I mean, listen... <laughs> They're going to be front and centre. And is this a kind of yet another fallout of the Me Too that we are finally beginning to treat women with an equality? It's all of that. And also that some of us blokes quite enjoy watching uh, sort of, uh, what can one say, senior looking women on screen. They're kind of sexy. I mean, yeah. I mean, a a woman of 60 in high heels is very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Claudia, do you think that um, there's been a lot of taking of of TV ideas into Hollywood? Could you see Gold Digger being made into a Hollywood movie? That premise, that idea? Of the, the, yeah, the the sexy older woman with with the younger man. Yeah, I could see that happening, yeah. And, and Baz, and we've talked about, you've talked about Meryl Streep, we've talked about Jamie Lee Curtis, Leslie Manville. One of the things that came out was that older women of colour just aren't getting represented. Are you seeing any sense that there may be a change there? Not really. I mean, it's true. Viola Davis, uh, who was in uh, Steve McQueen's film Widows a couple of years ago, she won an Oscar and she was in The Help. Um, you know, she set up her own production company, she was telling me, to provide her with work. Um, because she wasn't getting the offers from the Hollywood studios. Um, we're reading in the papers the other day that um, the young actress who's in this film, Harriet, which opens today, about Harriet Tubman, uh, an American uh, slave uh, freer. Um, that was going to be that role was going to be played by Juliet uh, um, Julia Roberts, for heaven's sake. But it, but it, thank God it did go to a black actress. But yeah, it is tough out there because the the view is that they don't make money at the box office. That's always the bottom line, it's isn't it, Claudia? Although we saw uh, pictures of Halle Berry on Instagram. Don't you saw those, Baz, the other week? With it. She's she 50, 51, like, showing off her amazing six-pack. So she's still Yeah, hot. but that's yeah. true. She looks great, but she yeah. can't get arrested. Uh, she can't get arrested in Hollywood. I mean, I... Is that her, why is not? That her reputation? Why not, or is that her? Why not, Baz? No, it's because she... How can I say this? Certain actresses who have depended on their looks when they were younger, like Halle, great actress, but her looks were important. I'm thinking of also of, uh, I know she's not a woman of colour, but Cameron Diaz, who's retired, she's not even 50 yet. She can't get roles. Certain actresses who were beautiful back in the day, who might not be now, it's hard for them to get work. So it's basically a certain type of actress who makes yeah. the... Who, even if they're playing sexy roles over 50, over 60, it's only a certain type of actress yeah, who gets I them. Mean, character actress I mean, who's Kathy, not traded on I her mean, looks, I mean, Kathy yeah. Bates, who one could politely call an old bat, she's never out of work because she never relied on her looks when she was a young woman. Oh, that's the same for Sarah Lancashire, isn't it, in British TV, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. precisely. Baz, Claudia, thanks so much Thank for you. joining us. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where our critics ignore the hype and tell us what they really think about the week's new releases. First up, Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. Hello, Adrian. What have you been listening to? Uh, Well, this week, um, one of the main records is the new Coldplay opus, Everyday Life.
used to know where you stood with Coldplay, you know, big anthemic rock albums, guitars that sound a bit like U2, big sing-alongs, a slightly pious singer, and in recent years, a slight shift towards slightly more poppy material. They've worked with Rihanna and Beyonce and the pop producers Stargate, but you kind of used to know where you stood with Coldplay, but they've thrown it all out the window with their new album, Everyday Life, which is quite simply the most remarkable album of their I think 21 year recording career so this one it's it's rather like the Beatles White album they've just thrown everything into the mix and seen seen what sticks so you've got tracks that have classical strings there's one with a Sowetan choir most surprising there's a there's a straight down the line a cappella gospel song still sing along we can still uh, we'll still there be are. seeing some of these in five years time in children in need albums will we i would think so there's one or two songs there's certainly there's a song called when i need a friend which is the hymn that um i'm sure if they if they pop that out um, before christmas that'll be a real contender for a a kind of sentimental Christmas number one. It's a really lovely song. Interesting band, though, Coldplay. I mean, with a huge following, their, their tours uh, are always uh, sellouts. They sell a lot of albums, yet they are not what you would ever term fashionable. Is this album going to change that? They're, they're never going to appear appeal to the cooler hipster fraternity, but I think this record, it might win them a, a few new fans. I think there's enough there to keep the old fans on board and yet maybe just tempt one or two listeners into, uh, into Coldplay world. OK, so Coldplay's new album, Agent Thrills, Hit or Miss. It's a hit. And, and what else uh, is, is coming out this week? The, the other big one this week for me is the new album by Beck, the, the kind of maverick American singer. I don't even know what to I'm Only ten minutes to go. I don't even know It's a very dreamy, almost psychedelic electronic album. And usually, and usually he's, he's hooked up with the, a dance producer to make it, Pharrell Williams, who you may know from you know, hits such as Happy and the infamous Blurred Lines and he sang on Daft Punk's Get Lucky. So again, someone you'd associate not, maybe not with kind of electronic psychedelia, but the pairing, it works a treat on hyperspace. You've got Beck writing some really good songs and then Pharrell playing drums, keyboards and adding some very atmospheric, electronics. I think Beck, um, when he hooked up with Pharrell, Pharrell said, we're going to make Sergeant Pepper. I don't know if they've quite <laughs> done that, but they've uh, they've certainly made a very interesting, dreamy, electronic, psychedelic record. It sounds it sounds a very unexpected collaboration, this one. Had, had they worked together before? I think the plan was that they were going to work together on a Pharrell record. Um, he has a side project called NERD, Nothing Ever Really Dies. And the plan was for Beck and Pharrell to, to hook up and do some stuff there. But they they did a couple of songs and suddenly realised they had an album's worth of different material here. So it, it turned into a Beck record. I mean, it's not... The thing with Beck is you just never know quite what to expect. He He's a totally unique, innovative performer who just, he goes his own way. So you'd almost, I mean, funny enough, he's even got Chris Martin on it. He sings backing vocals on the on one of the tracks here. So it's a busy week for him. I don't know what to expect with Beck, but what do you think? Hit or miss on this one? I think this one's a hit again. 
The Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner. What have you been watching, Brian? Well, I've seen a very interesting film, Jim, this week called Harriet. I don't know if you know how extraordinary this is, but you have made it 100 miles to freedom all by yourself. Would you like to pick a new name to mark your freedom? Harriet Tubman. It tells a story that I I didn't really know. It's about a, a woman who's set in the 1840s and 1850s in, in America. Um, and this woman, Harriet Tubman, is a... I, I, had, I have to say, I had sort of vaguely heard of her, but I didn't know really her remarkable story. She was a slave, uh, and she escaped from the plantation where she worked in Maryland and managed to get up to Philadelphia with the help of uh, a few sort of abolitionists and, and various people, a, a local reverend and so on. And um, anyway, she was given sanctuary in, in Philadelphia, um, and then instead of sort of staying safe up there, she decided to take the plunge and go back down south and lead lots of her relatives and friends, but also just total strangers, but, but slaves, black slaves, um, to freedom. And um, this was called the Underground Railroad. Uh, and, there were, and they used all these kind of railway euphemisms. So she was, a, she was the most famous conductor on the Underground Railroad. Um, and, and the film tells her story. I think it's, I think it's terrific. I mean, you know, it's, it covers, it's set in exactly the same time period as... 12 Years a Slave, uh, which you'll, rem- you'll remember. But, uh, and that, of course, was, you know, got lots and lots of, of awards and plaudits and was, you know, was, a, was a huge hit by the British director, Steve McQueen, uh, about six years ago. Um, but I think this is a... That, that, that sort of felt to me like a bit of a slog. Um, this is a, it's a shorter film. It's, you know, it has no... It doesn't have any kind of thrills. It tells the story pretty straightforwardly. It's... Um, by an American uh, female black director called uh, Carly Lemons, uh, whose son, incidentally, is in it, and he plays this kind of Huckleberry Finn figure, which is he's a very sort of beguiling figure. It's a, I, I just thought it was a really well-told film and a very worthwhile film. Do you think we're going to be seeing Hollywood more frequently revisiting what is actually a pretty shameful part of the American history? I think we are. We've also had Birth of a Nation quite recently, and... I, I think we are. I think I think Hollywood. You know, it's all. I suppose it's all perhaps tied up with the kind of Me Too and a, and a general sort of you know slightly more kind of liberal outlook. Interestingly, it was first mooted as a film about 25 years ago, uh, <laughs> and I read somewhere that um, one of the studio executives who, who really liked the idea of making a film about Harriet Tubman um, suggested that maybe Julia Roberts could play her. <laughs> Um, now, you can't imagine that happening now. There would be, can you imagine the uproar? But um, only 25 years ago, it was suggested that, a, you know, that a white actress might play this, this kind of black heroine. So um, things have changed greatly since then and, and even in the past kind of 10 years. And yes, I think we will see more films like this, um, you know, and I hope we do. But they've got to be good. Um, you know, sometimes they can be a bit stodgy and a bit too much like a history lesson. And uh, th- this one, I think, is really worth seeing. So hit or miss, Brian? So I have to say, um, unequivocally, this is a hit. Uh, and what else is uh, going to be on our screens in the coming week? Well, the big film of the week, the huge film of the week, is, of course, Frozen 2. I am afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the end.
most successful animated film ever made. It's just, you know, made absolute shed loads at the box office. So inevitably, here we have Frozen 2. And it's the story of, of two sisters who live in the kingdom of Arendelle. Uh, Elsa is the older one, and she's the queen, and she has this kind of magical power to turn things into ice and snow. Uh, and her, she has this little sister, Anna. Uh, they're both voiced again by the same two actresses, Adina Menzel and Kristen Bell. Uh, this time, I don't think last time, but this time the, um, their father, the king, is voiced by Alfred Molina, who's a, a well-known British actor, of course. Um, and the problem with it is that it's just too... It's kind of very complex. Sorry, in what way is it complex? The plot? You just don't know what's it's, happening. It's, it's just that... So, yes, it sort of develops the, the story from last time, and uh, the king, in a flashback, because the king, in the last film, the, the king and queen uh, died in a terrible storm at sea, so this is a flashback, and it has the king telling his two daughters a, a, a story, but it's actually a, a true story about an enchanted forest. Uh, and then Elsa, it's basically an origin story. We find out, ultimately, how Elsa got her magical powers. Um, but it just gets, it's just terribly, terribly complex. And I was sitting there thinking, well, if I can't quite work out what's happening, then, you know, watch out the seven-year-old. You, you said that a lot, there's a kind of environmental theme going on. Does that mean with global warming that things aren't quite as frozen as they used to be? <laughs> Um, no, everything's pretty frozen. Everything's pretty frozen. But there are there are flood there are floods. The people of Arendelle have to evacuate to higher ground. There's a there are these kind of mystical characters in the forest, and it's all very, you know, it's all very right on in that respect. And it's um, yeah, it's it's, it, it's sort of quite subtly done. You know, all these animations are contrived. But this, you know, but but um, I don't know. I just, it just didn't it didn't it didn't warm the cockles of my heart like the like the first one, which of course is ironic because it's crazy. <laughs> I get a sense it doesn't really matter what we think. This is going to be a huge hit because it's the follow up well, to the biggest of all. But where, where are you going with this, Brian? Hit or miss? Well, um, I thought it was a miss. Thanks so much uh, for that, Brian. Now you know what's worth seeing and what tickets aren't worth the paper they're printed on. Many thanks to Brian, Adrian and Baz. Now let's meet this week's guest. I'm joined by Adam Kay, uh, author of This Is Going To Hurt, which spent a year as the bestseller uh, of the Sunday Times, been translated into 37 different languages. Um... I think it sold more than a million and a half copies. A publishing uh, triumph. And um, he's got a new book out, um, which is called The Night Shift Before Christmas. Uh, before we start, Adam, you used to be a doctor. Can we just talk about this sort of odd rash I've got on my hand? Uh, what, what do I need to do about it? I think you need to see your GP. <laughs> I thought you might sorry give me some that. medical advice. Uh, presumably, well, I could do, but I mean, I've left, I left the profession in 2010. I've been constantly drunk since. So <laughs> you can roll of the dice if you want to take my advice on anything remotely related to medicine. Um, listen, we all wanted to be uh, J.K. Rowling. Uh, it turns out you are. Um, how did it happen? <laughs> oh, you know what? I think, it's, I think it's testament to our love of the NHS. My book's a love letter to the NHS, albeit... Uh, told 
through funny slash disgusting stories for the most part. Um, and, you know, we were all born there. We're all going to die there. But on the journey between those, those two events, they'll do everything they can going beyond the call of duty to keep us on the road. And it's our greatest achievement as a civilised nation. It's an amazing thing. And uh, my love for it is clearly shared by, by lots of other people. And, and has your book sort of become a textbook at medical schools? You know, do you get given <laughs> on arrival uh, a medical encyclopedia and this is going to hurt so you know what's going to happen? No, I, certainly lots of medical students have been uh, reading it. I was speaking to a medical school uh, admissions uh, tutor who was saying that the majority of uh, of uh, of the students, so prospective medical students, at their interviews were citing it. So at least people are going to the job with their eyes open, and I think that's important because it's a, we're not always very honest. I think we're sometimes slightly British about uh, uh, about things. Um, the job I worked on, Labour Ward, which obviously has amazing highs, you end up with twice the number of patients you start with. Um, but uh, but you know, conversely, the lows are very, very low when things uh, when things don't work out. And um, we don't we don't really screen our medical students for um, for whether or not they'll be able to, to deal with it. And uh, and I think I, I'm glad if people go go into the profession knowing that. And um, I had I had an angry message from someone not long ago saying, um, you know, my daughter read your book and now she doesn't want to go to medical school. Good. Yeah, that's uh, if, if that book's going to put you off being a doctor, being a doctor is definitely going to put you off being a doctor. You've now got the night shift before Christmas. This is also from your diaries that you kept when you were a junior doctor. Does that suggest that's right. Does that suggest there's a whole industry of Adam K books to come out from your <laughs> diaries? I suspect I could do, but they get progressively worse and worse and more and more boring. Uh, these, these were a lot of Christmas stories. I worked a huge number of Christmas shifts because, you know, you know, babies don't care if it's the 25th of December or the 25th of April. You know, they come out whenever they like, so labor wards have to be fully staffed. So I worked I worked uh, a lot of them, and they didn't go in my first book, because otherwise that first book would have been strangely festive. Um, but... Uh, uh, because there seems to be an appetite for the stuff I've, I've written. Uh, we, we have that second book. Um, I've got lots of diaries, but a lot of them are very boring. And so I suspect we're not just going to have all the, you know, a, a collection of outtakes of extremely mundane stories, as like book 12. <laughs> uh, did, how many Christmas days did you work in a row then? Oh, so um, of the seven Christmases that I was qualified as a doctor, um, I, uh, I worked for six of them. Um, and but you know if you speak to any any healthcare professional, uh, the, the shifts have to be filled. So if you're not doing Christmas Day, then you will be doing Christmas Eve or or the night or Boxing Day or you know or New Year's Eve. It's you know there's, there's no getting away from it. We need to. The NHS is always there in the background, whether you need it or not. And hopefully you don't. But if you know if you do um, inhale a parsnip or sort of um, fall on a fall on a carving knife now, or, now, you when, know, or when, go into labour, then, then, then they're there for you. When you mention that, your books are just rammed with so many funny stories. Um, since you've been out and about doing stand-up tours and so on, has anyone come up to you and said, hey, that was me with the TV remote control? Uh, uh, yes, that hasn't, I haven't had any patience. 
uh, so they recognise themselves. I have slightly unfortunately had uh, had uh, a medical student uh, contact me. So there was a in my first book, this is going to hurt. Um, I tell the story of a cesarean section, and cesarean sections require two people to do it. Generally, you do two doctors, but you can train up a medical student as well. Um, and so I was doing uh, I was doing a cesarean with a very hungover medical student, and the sights and smells and sounds of a cesarean section aren't conducive uh, to someone with a hangover, and it's sort of basically very short. The guy fainted and face planted into the open <laughs> abdomen of of this poor poor patient, oh, and no. uh, and so we dragged you know sort of dragged him out and gave the patient some antibiotics and sat him in the corner and everything was fine and we apologised to the patient and then uh, I wrote about it in the book and he he got in touch saying, how many times did that happen to you? Because that definitely happened to me when I was working <laughs> with you and it definitely was him but then again, he's now a uh, he's now a consultant and he's probably not going to tell people that that was him and I'm not going to give his name so I think we're probably on safe ground. Now listen, you're in the midst of a stand-up tour. You're going to uh, big theatres, uh, reading from your books, uh, telling stories and so on. You're, you're treading in the footsteps of people like Paul Sinner, Harry Hill, Graham Garden, Graham Chapman. Yeah. Doctors Jonathan to Miller. Comedian, Jonathan Miller. Chekhov. I didn't know that. <laughs> a a well-trodden path of sort of um, uh, uh, doctors to, to, to comedians. It, it, is comedy a coping mechanism then? Absolutely. Absolutely is. They don't teach you how to cope at medical school. There's a cultural, again, very British thing about, you know, you're a bloody doctor and you bloody get on with it. But you do need techniques to cope. And there are good ones. You know, there are sensible things like talking to people, uh, whether they're professionals or not, taking time out, tea, mindfulness, yoga. There's all sorts of things you can do. But they don't really teach you any of those. So you, so you find your own way through. And for me, and for a lot of doctors, it is humour. So looking for the the light amongst the dark, basically. It's why I was writing down all this funny stuff, silly stuff, gross stuff, because because you you need a way through it. And I'm not I'm not the only one. Clearly, not by not by a long stretch. There wouldn't have been um you know Monty Python were it not for uh, for the sense of humour of doctors. I love the end of your book where uh, you say, you, you just say, please send uh, your doctor a Christmas card. Um, did anyone ever send you a Christmas card when you were a doctor? I had half a dozen um, cards at nice occasions and, uh, you know, and thank yous and things over the time I was a doctor. And they were, would have been very small things uh for the patients at the time but they made a huge difference it's it's very stressful um you know often working in the in the nhs and those are the things that often made a big difference and they'll make a big difference to to any doctor any nurse any midwife any pharmacist anyone who uh who who went that extra mile and 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 and, and sorted you out and that and, and they made such a difference to me that, you know, I've thrown away huge amounts of the of the stuff that I accumulated during my time as a doctor. But I have not thrown away and I will never throw away those notes from patients. Now, never mind me asking you for your medical advice. Uh, the question that every writer knows is coming is the one I'm going to ask you now. Um, <laughs> what do you plan to write about next? Is it, is it still going to be medicine? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to get this book out of the way. And then, uh, and then see see uh, see see what see what occurs to me. I think really. 
Maybe oh. I'll train to be a vicar and write about that. <laughs> Adam, thanks so much for joining us. It's back to the hits and misses. This time, what's coming up on TV with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's TV critic. So, uh, Claudia, what are we going to be seeing over the next couple of weeks? Well, let's start with talking about Elton John, Uncensored. There's very few bits of me left. There's no hair, there's a pacemaker, there's no tonsils. I'm like the bionic woman. Um, that's on BBC One next Thursday, and that's a one-hour special with Graham Norton, and he's in conversation with Elton John, and it was filmed at Elton's house in the south of France in what looks like some weird box room, so you don't even get a good old nose around his mansion. It's it's billed as his only interview this year, which is odd, because it just isn't. I mean, Elton did loads of interviews when he was plugging Rocket Man, so that's that's very strange. Yes, because he's released his, his autobiography, yeah, that, that came out and a there's ago. a movie. So And there's a movie. now, And this, was, this is done to plug both of those, so the timing is a little bit odd. It feels like this was recorded quite a long time ago, and they were meant to have of edit a few weeks ago. Um, now, Graham Norton's a, a fantastic uh, yeah. host of his Friday night show. It's always very entertaining. But the questions I always sense with Graham Norton are to elicit the anecdote. So it's, tell me about that time mm, when such yeah. and such happens. Can, can he actually get closer to a, um, um, a subject than that? It, no, it's very much like that in, in this uncensored programme. He he sort of prompts Elton, so tell me about the time when you did this. And it, and it all comes from the book. And um, Elton John is a really colourful character and he's led a very colourful life. But there was nothing in it. There was no anecdote. There was no footage that I didn't feel that I had seen many times before. I mean, he's, he's very funny when he's talking about his wigs and his hair transplants. Um, but apart from that, I just I just felt like there was nothing new in it at he all. He is a funny guy, though. Yeah, Elton he is John, funny. He's he? very witty. He's very engaging. And he's very honest. He's talking all about, you know, he talks about his drinking and his drug taking and everything. But... You know, I've heard it all before. So hit or miss? I'm, I'd, I'd say it's a miss. I mean... And what else have you been watching? OK, so also um, Heartstrings, uh, Dolly Parton Heartstrings. Now, this is a new series that um, is uh, uploaded to Netflix today. Songs. They're just stories put to music. The songs that I've written, they're stories of my life. Every triumph, every struggle, every smile, Every sorrow, it's the melody of my memories. It's the sound of my heartstrings. Now, these are eight dramas, standalone dramas, that are all based on a Dolly Parton song. And some of them are her very well-known songs and some of them are slightly more obscure. So so the plot is actually the, the, yeah. the lyrics of the of, yes. of the tune, right? Yeah, so the first one is Jolene. Well, I was going to say, it, I was gonna say be, what else could yes, there be? It's got to yeah. be Jolene. And uh, Dolly introduced introduces each film and she tells you about her influence behind the song. So in in Jolene, she says that it was based on... um her husband used to flirt with a woman who worked in the bank who had uh, red hair and green eyes and she got very jealous. So that that was the influence for the song. I mean, they might work as three-minute pop songs, but do they work as hour-long dramas? Yeah, they do. They're, I really like... Actually, this These Old Bones is an hour and a half. Um, and that's about a story of a, an old mountain woman, because Dolly is from the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, who... Um, and it's based on a true story, Dolly reveals... Um, Developers wanted to buy her house and uh, she refused 
to let them. And so it's it's her story with Kathleen Turner in the lead role. So this is kind of jukebox drama. Yeah. It's, it's the, the it's television cheesy. version of... The... I mean, it is cheesy. But... Hit or miss? Well, you can't diss Dolly, can you? So it's a hit. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Claudia. Now let's find out what they're gossiping about on the other side of the Atlantic. And I'm delighted to be joined by the male's own Jackie Stephen. Uh, Jackie... Are, are they talking about Caitlyn Jenner in the in the jungle over in in the states? I'll be honest, they're not. <laughs> Nobody cares about about Caitlyn Jenner at the moment. I think everyone's had enough of the Kardashians. What they are talking about is Harry Styles. I predict that Harry Styles is going to be the next Brit to make it huge in America. He presented Saturday Night Live for the first time, and he was extraordinary. He's been on it before with One Direction singing, but this time he was hosting the show, and he sang as well. He was hilarious. Was he? a brilliant comic, a brilliant comic, wonderful actor, fantastic comic timing, and everyone fell in love with him, as if they didn't love him enough before. But they also love his hair. Now, Harry's been been making a big feature about his wonderful hair, which is very lustrous and beautifully styled. He's a stylish guy as well. He came on with different coloured nail varnish. Uh, He had a very unusual outfit on. It looked like something out of Butlins. But he is really, really popular here. And he did a fantastic job. And his album's coming out on the 17th of December. People are disappointed he's not up for a Grammy, uh, but in actual fact, the album doesn't fall within the time limit that it would have been allowed to be submitted. So he'll be up for it next year, and the new album's coming out on the 17th of December. I mean, it would be quite a thing, wouldn't it, to get the host of one of the uh, nightly shows uh, on, on American television. Do you know if he's got an ambition in that direction, or is he still committed to music? He's very committed to music, and on Saturday Night Live, he kept emphasizing that. He said, I'm a serious musician, uh, which he is. But also, I think he has huge ambitions as an actor. He was in Dunkirk, and he had really good reviews for being in that. Uh, He's an extraordinary young man, I think. I think every band that comes along, there's usually one star, and it was very apparent from the start that Harry was the star of the band. He made a joke at the start of Saturday Night Live where he was naming the other members of the band and he deliberately forgot Zayn Malik. And then he said, oh yeah, what was the other one? Ringo. (laughs) Now in the UK, he's had a lot of flack from people saying, oh, it was very mean of him to do that. But this is what Saturday Night Live is about. Uh, Do you think think he was scripted? Uh, I mean, presumably these things are pretty scripted or is he a naturally funny guy? Well, any show that you have in America is scripted. Saturday Night Live is scripted. His monologue would have been scripted, and he probably would have run through it a lot in the afternoon. But he is actually naturally quite funny. He did a thing at the beginning pretending he was playing the piano and implied that One Direction were going to be on the show, which they weren't. Uh, but he did a very cheeky look to the audience a couple of times, and... It, was, it went down very, very well. He's very naturally funny. And I think that what, else, what they also like about him here, he's a very clean-cut guy. They love their clean heroes, if you like. I think it's one of the reasons that Robbie Williams didn't make it big in America was because of the whole drugs background. Uh, Harry Styles, apart from being a womanizer, which is also something that people keep returning to, uh, he is very clean-cut. He looks lovely. He looks like the boy next door. And Americans love their heroes to be the boy next door. They don't mind womanizers in America. I mean, they elected one to be president. Um, 
One Direction. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. 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 <laughs> uh, one, one Direction, huge, huge uh, in the States. Uh, is there a constant craving for them to get back together? Well, I think any band that breaks up, everyone always wants them to get back together. Uh, I don't think for one second it's going to happen because I think Harry is now so far ahead of the rest of the band that uh, I can't see why he would go back. It's a bit like uh, the Spice Girls. If Victoria Beckham would never go on tour with them. She doesn't want to return to that. And people always criticise the person who won't return to their roots, uh, the original band. But why should they? You look at Victoria Beckham. She's got four children. She's got a very successful family. Say that again. You look at Victoria Beckham. She's got four children, a very successful fashion business. Her husband does stuff all over the world. They're just about to open a, a hotel now, uh, which that was announced this week, a hotel in China. And why would you go back to the thing that made you famous uh, and go on tour, which has to be the most grueling thing on the planet? So I don't blame Harry for wanting to move on. And I know that I just have this feeling that he's going to be enormous. I think he'll probably end up with his own chat show, like James Corden. Uh, He lacks a little bit of confidence at the moment. He's inevitably very nervous. He's young. But for a young man, he has incredible poise. And I think that he's going to be enormous. All the hail Prince Harry, in in fact. Yes, exactly. All about it's all about Harry. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us, Jackie. And that's it from It's Friday this week. Thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back next Friday and every week with your Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, goodbye. Hold up. 